This is Making Shift Happen, and I'm your host, Jen Cates. Over the years, I've coached hundreds of clients to find their ideal self through the way they nourish their bodies and minds, and now I'm here to help pass on these same strategies to you. So let's stop the madness and get your results once and for all. Let's go. All right, fam, today we're talking about a very hot topic, and I'm calling it a hot topic because both athletes and coaches are somewhat mixed on this topic, but more coaches <laughs> emphasize the importance of zone two endurance training versus athletes. And we're going to dive into it today. Boom, let's go. All right, so zone two, if you're wondering what the heck that is, it, it goes by many names. It can uh, include names like endurance training, um, base miles. I'm sure you've probably heard that, whether you're a runner or a cyclist, LIS or low intensity, steady state training, easy miles, soul miles, so on. Right. But I will say for the most part, it's usually, it's, it's called endurance or base or zone two for the most part. Now they all mostly mean the same thing. All right. So let's go ahead and get that out of the way. Great. We got that defined. World-class athletes, we're talking Olympic level, national level, professional level. These world-class athletes spend about 75 to 80% of their training in zone two or less, period. This is mind-blowing to a lot of us, a lot of you who might be listening, especially if you're a weekend warrior, because we're under the impression that every single training session for these high-level world-class athletes are intense or hard, and that is just not true. Um, Many athletes, I find, absolutely scoff at the idea of zone two training. They think that things like it, it takes too much time, It's, um, oh gosh, I've heard that it's junk miles or it doesn't do much for performance or some even think that it's a waste of time to just spin so slowly when you can actually improve your performance with interval training at higher intensity for shorter durations of time. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not anti-hit training or high intensity interval training. It's just your body can only handle so much of it, even if you're well recovered. Now, I often see this particular issue when I have new athletes coming to me, telling me that that they train so hard all of the time and they go, they go so ham, so hard on their mountain biking rides and they just, they drill it, you know, week in, week out, multiple times a week. And they are overtraining and never seeing the increase in performance. The issue is that they don't have enough slow days with their training or their slow days are simply just not slow enough. Now, I see this especially with cyclists and runners, especially if they are at elevation. If they're already training at elevation, their body is already being demanded of so much with limited oxygen or you know different density in oxygen. Now, with this, you have to keep in mind, it doesn't matter whether you're at elevation or not. You may need to train slower than you think you do in order to see the improvement that you're seeking. You don't need to add one more hit training or one more long interval that lasts 60 minutes, which is just ludicrous. 
You don't need to do that. You don't need to do more. This is when less can be more. Going slower can make you fast. The issue is that higher intensity intervals are seen as a way to get fit, right? To get you absolutely fit and shredded. I hear it so often. I've believed it myself as well. This is only partially true though. Working out at higher intensities is great for you. Very, very good for you. Love it. I I support it fully, but it only helps you with working out at higher intensities. Training at higher intensities helps you work out for longer periods of time at higher intensities. It gets your body used to working at higher intensities. Whereas training in your zone two heart rate, which, which I'll talk about in a minute. If you don't know exactly what the hell your zone two is, don't worry. I'm going to dive into that really deep today. But if you're training in your zone two heart rate range, that actually adds to your overall output and it helps improve your zones three through five heart rate zones, which are the more intense training zones that you're at when you're, you know, beyond lactate threshold and things like that. So First, let me talk about these heart rate zones as as simply as possible so as to, I don't know, not make your eyes glaze over or to have you zone out (laughs) or anything like that because this can get quite overwhelming and I'm just trying to simplify it as best as possible. Now, to understand heart rate zones first, you have to understand or know your maximum heart rate or max heart rate or MHR. I'm just going to call it max heart rate just for the sake of all of these, you know, letters that I'm going to share with you in today's episode. Now your max heart rate can be found in your hardest workout effort recently, or you can also do a max heart rate ramp test or a lactate threshold test at a research site or university if you have one nearby. But please know that those formal tests that you do at the university setting or research setting, they can be pretty expensive and honestly not necessary because usually those are are fairly reserved for those higher level athletes um, or people who just have, you know, a, a few hundred dollars to spend. Now, you can do it. Just work out really hard. See what your max heart rate was in that workout and that gives you a good idea. Um, or you can do like a ramp test or something like that, you know, using Zwift or Peloton or whatever, right? Um, do a, a major CrossFit workout. Do Fran. <laughs> That'll tell you what your max maximum heart rate is if you do the Fran uh, wad workout of the day with CrossFit. So um, yeah, you have to know your maximum heart rate, okay? <laughs> now, the old school method, because I'm sure you're probably thinking, oh, Jen, wait a minute, max heart rate? Hold on, hold on. I remember learning about this in school. And yes, it is true. We all did learn about this in school, no matter what our major was. If you took a nutrition or phys ed class or something like that, the old school method was taught to you. And that old school method of calculating your max heart rate is roughly taking 220 minus your age. Boom. That's your max heart rate. All right. Now, keep in mind that this is an estimate and it is definitely, definitely not 100% accurate because it is a very, very, very generic method to estimate your max heart rate because it doesn't consider well-trained individuals. And most of you listening are mountain bikers or runners or cyclists of some sort, and you already have a great training base, okay? So you're already conditioned very well. So just taking 220 minus your age You know, 220, for example, minus my age, I'm 43. That's 177 beats per minute is my max heart rate. 
I can go, I can go higher than that comfortably, actually. I mean, it doesn't feel comfortable in the moment when I'm redlining, but I can, I can go higher than that. Now that this generic method of 220 minus your age, that pulls me basically in the same pool with others who may not be as conditioned as I am. And I'm not even really well conditioned right now. Okay. Now, another way more reliable method is using your heart rate reserve or HRR. Okay. Now this is going to get confusing as hell to hear these numbers and things like that for the next two minutes. Please bear with me. I will put this calculation in the show notes. That way you can reference it and you don't have to keep rewinding, rewinding and writing it down. And possibly if you're driving, you know, risking an accident. Okay. Please don't do that. Please just check the show notes. I'm going to have them in there for you. Okay. So heart rate reserve. This requires you to know your maximum heart rate, your max heart rate, and also your resting heart rate on average. All right. So you take your resting heart rate first thing in the morning when you wake up before you start moving around, before you even get out of bed, excuse me, before you even get out of bed, all right? Lay in there, great, take your resting heart rate, find a pulse point, you can hold it and count for 60 seconds, or you can just count for like 15 seconds. Uh, I find like taking it for 15 seconds can be a little bit more accurate than taking it for 10 seconds and multiplying by six, because there's 60 seconds in a minute, but Take 15, multiply that by four, all right? So whatever your pulse is in those 15 seconds, or if you wear a smart watch, great. Check it, see what your resting heart rate is, okay? Now, your max heart rate. Like I said earlier, it can be from a max heart rate test or whatever your max heart rate usually is during recent, very hard efforts. Keyword recent. Don't take your maximum heart rate from like five years ago because it's not applicable to your state right now, okay? So here's the calculation for heart rate reserve. Again, I'm going to put this in the show notes. So you can also fast forward a little bit if you want to. Um, and I'll tell you when I'm done with the calculation here. All right. Now you calculate your HRR, your heart rate reserve by subtracting your resting heart rate from your maximum heart rate. All right. Then you have that number. So that's your, that's your heart rate reserve right there. Boom. You already found it easy. So that's the easy part of the calculation. Now we're trying to find the upper and lower levels of zone two, which I'm going to talk about what these zones are in just a couple minutes. So bear with me here, but to find your upper level of your zone two training, you're going to take your HRR that you just found out, multiply that by 0.7 for 70%. Take that number and then add your resting heart rate back to that number. That gives you the upper bound of your zone two range. All right. Now to, to find your lower end of your zone two range, you basically take your HRR, multiply it by 0.6 for 60%. And then you add your resting heart rate to that for your lower range. Okay. I'm going to use myself as an example. My max heart rate recently was around 183 in recent workouts. <laughs> Thank you, CrossFit. Um, as well as just honestly, some of the intervals I've been doing. My resting heart rate right now is 50. It's usually around 44 to 46. Sometimes it goes as low as 42 uh, when I'm really physically fit, doing a fair amount of aerobic training. Also when it's during peak training season, okay? But it's winter right now. And my resting heart rate increases naturally because honestly, resting heart rate increases during the winter. So fun fact for you. <laughs> also though, 
If you've recently recovered from COVID, I hate to talk about it right now, but let me talk about it for a moment. If you have recently recovered from COVID, then please know that your resting heart rate might be a little bit more elevated for a few to several weeks or maybe even months, unfortunately. Um, but that's just a part of the recovery process from such a severe illness, even if it was a mild case. Okay. So please go easy on yourself. If you're finding that your resting heart rate is just higher, all right, you just, you just survived something. So please pat yourself on the back. Now to do this resting heart rate, you know, heart rate reserve calculation for me, my max 183, my resting is 50. I take 183 minus 50. That comes to 133. Right, that's my heart rate reserve. Awesome. By the way, a really good heart rate reserve or a healthy heart rate reserve is right around 120. If you don't have 120, guess what? You need to be doing some zone two training. All right, which is the key in all of this. You don't need to do any more intervals. Stop with that crap. Just do some freaking slow and steady work here. All right. So I have 133 as my heart rate reserve. I'm going to take that, multiply it by 70%. It's 93. 93 plus my resting heart rate of 50 is 143 for my upper end of my zone two. Personally, that's kind of my happy zone. You know, that's, that's the zone before I start to get a little bit like if people are asking me a lot of questions, I'm going to be like, God damn it. You're asking me a lot of questions while we're climbing. Like this is not a time, especially for me because I have vocal cord dysfunction. So I already have a difficulty, a difficulty breathing. I have to consciously breathe and in a way that relaxes my vocal cords. <laughs> so <laughs> that way I don't sound like I'm wheezing. So, um, 143 is usually a happy place for me in the low one forties. That's fine. But after that, I start to get into the threshold. You know, once I start to get closer to 150, I start to feel a little bit more like in threshold. I'm starting to feel that lactate threshold just a little bit. So, mm, you know, um, I'm feeling it definitely in like 160, 170, you know, screw you. You're not, you're not getting an answer for your questions if I'm around like 170, okay, <laughs> in terms of heart rate. So 143 is my upper zone for zone two. If I do that same calculation, take that 133, my heart rate reserve, and multiply it though by 0.6, then that's 80. 80 plus my resting heart rate of 50 is 130. So that's my lower end of my zone two. Personally, I like about 120 for my lower end of zone two because I feel like I'm working enough, feels good, and I'm happy. All right. I'm not breathless. I can still have a conversation. I can still laugh at my own jokes while I'm on the trainer. All right. So that's been confusing as hell. Dial in right now, tune back in right now. If you've zoned out on the calculations again, I'm going to put it in the show notes. So don't worry about it. I do want to take a moment to dive into the heart rate zones. So you understand where zone two is in all of this business. All right. I'm going to use some comparisons here in terms of emojis and dog. All right. You, you'll see what I'm talking about here in a second, but I'm all about like imagery. So, all right. Zone one, imagine a happy emoji with sunglasses on. Oh yeah. You're just chilling. This is about 50 to 60% of your maximum heart rate. This is an easy walk with a very calm dog. <laughs> okay. Very calm dog or a tiny dog with tiny legs right? Like you're walking me. I have tiny legs. So this is a very stupid, easy walk. Great. You could do this all day. This is basically you on the sofa or you going for an easy walk. Zone two, the topic of discussion for today. This is still a very happy emoji, <laughs> but maybe you see, I don't know, like a cute puppy down the, down the street from you. 
and you want to go pet him. So you pick up your pace a little bit. You're, you're, you're manically chasing this dog a little bit with a, a little pep in your step. All right. I did this constantly before I got Milo. So I get it. I totally get it. Mostly this is an easy, easy, easy pedal or a faster walk or a stupid slow run or jog. I don't even want to say run. It's a stupid slow jog, yog. Okay. Zone two is about 60 to 70% of your maximum heart rate. But if you are a very well-trained endurance athlete, please know that this might be closer to 70 to 78%-ish of your max heart rate because you're well-trained endurance. This is when you being already having a fantastic base as an athlete is going to prove effective for you, all right? Now, this zone two is aerobic and should feel like you could do this intensity for a long period of time, all right? In this phase, you are mostly utilizing fat as fuel. So there's a lot of fat oxidation. Then there's zone three, all right? This is a moderate and challenging yet doable effort at fairly much, pretty much a tempo pace. You could likely sustain this momentum here, this pace for about 30 minutes if you absolutely had to. Not really fat oxidation. This is, and again, this is about 70 to 80% of your maximum heart rate. You're starting in zone three, especially the upper end of zone three for you, like closer to 80% of your max heart rate. You're starting to get into more uh, carb utilization as, as fuel or glycogen stores. You're basically using your glycogen stores as glucose. Your body's going to convert it to glucose, blah, blah, blah. All right. Again, I don't want your eyes to glaze over, but I want you to understand a little bit about this too. Emoji-wise, zone three, hmm, your, your face is starting to get a little red, all right? You're that emoji that maybe has the red face, all right? You're starting to get a little hot. Now in zone four, hmm, you're up in the ante, okay? This is basically a red face emoji with like sweat dropping off the forehead. <laughs> you know what emoji I'm talking about? So you're starting to really like, mm, I'm, I'm feeling I'm feeling it, all right? This is a hard effort that will basically leave you breathing heavier and it's at about 80 to 90% of your maximum heart rate, all right? You're basically, at this point, using more glucose or carbs for energy in this zone, all right? So you're not really utilizing the fat. This is when you start to feel the burn in your muscles because of the lactate and hydrogen buildup in your muscles, which I'll talk about in a minute, okay? Because understanding that is really, you're going to be mind blown, and this will encourage you to do zone two training, Okay. All right, zone five, shit's getting real. This is almost a vomit face emoji, <laughs> okay? <laughs> I think we all know that. Or for me, in my case, this is usually the cursing face emoji if I'm even, even able to like speak at this intensity, okay? <laughs> um, if you've ridden with me really hard, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, this is basically a max effort at about 90 to 100% of your maximum heart rate. Now, this hurts and it can be maintained in shorter shorter, shorter bouts. All right. So all out efforts, you know, we're talking like 10 seconds, 20 seconds, sometimes 30 seconds, you know, or more if you're, if you're trained to do that. All right. Remember, like I said earlier, you can train your anaerobic, which is zone five. You can, you can train that by doing more of a zone five. Sure. But generally you cannot hold on to zone five, you know, for hours and hours on end. Now, please know, caveat here, is that these zones are very individual. So 
the best way to know what they are is to either formally test, like I talked about earlier, it takes a few hundred bucks, or you can use the heart rate reserve method that I outlined above to get closer than just doing 220 minus your age. All right. Let's please retire the 220 minus your age uh, mentality. That will give you, I mean, ballpark figures, but it's not going to be as accurate, especially if you are a person who works out regularly. Okay. Now let's talk about how zone two corresponds to your overall performance, because now you know what the heck it is. You know what zones are, but let's talk about how does it, how does it, you know, correspond to your performance here. Now, according to exercise physiology, you know, your overall performance as an athlete is basically the entire, uh, what's the word I want to use? Like the entire sum of your anaerobic capacity. So your capacity to work out at zones four through five, right? Your overall fitness economy in terms of the ability of your muscles to take the oxygen and extract it from your blood and use it. Cause guess what? You need, you need oxygen, right? And also the ability of your heart to pump blood. Okay. So that kind of covers a lot of the basics, you know, in terms of your metrics, you know, going intense, going slow, all of that, right? How effective is your body at this? That's your performance. That's what rates your overall performance. Now, when you train aerobically, right? So we're talking zones two, zone one, for sure. Chasing that puppy at zone two. (laughs) And then maybe the early parts of zone three for some people, maybe. Now, when you train aerobically in those zones there, there are training adaptations that occur such as, and I'm going to reference my list here, a phenomenal development of an aerobic base fitness, period, a reduced resting heart rate, which is, can indicate your just overall health and things like that, your overall heart health, I should say, lower blood pressure, improved longevity, AKA you living longer, your heart chamber volume increases. Yes. Yes. We're going to talk about this in a second. You see an increase in fat burning enzymes in your body and also an increase in mitochondrial density and over mitochondrial health and efficiency to process glucose, fat, and lactate. In layman's terms, glucose, like I said earlier, it's a sugar or it's energy. Again, this is simply oversimplifying, but I want it to be, be, I want it to make, I want it to make sense. Okay. So glucose is sugar or energy. Fat is lipids, also energy, can also be energy. And lactate is a byproduct produced in your body by your metabolism and exercise. And we'll talk about this even more in a minute. But let me get back to the heart stuff, okay? Because I'm excited. I'm like clapping because I'm excited about this stuff. I have heart uh, issues running my family, okay? Um, Just wonderful early onset heart attacks and things like that, okay? So heart health is incredibly important to me. Um, I've even had, you know, friends lose a parent to acute distress for heart stress, basically acute heart distress, AKA cardiac arrest. Okay. Very much like what happened in the football game in recent weeks with, um, Buffalo. Now, yes, with zone two training, your heart chambers, there's four chambers. They actually get bigger. 
they grow and adapt to get larger to allow for more volume of blood to be pumped by your heart. This means that more blood is being pumped to your muscles. Your heart also gets more efficient at delivering oxygen to your muscles. Like, why would you not want that? I mean, why? Why would you not want that? All right. Again, this is built at an aerobic level. This is when you train aerobically. I'm going to give you an example here because sometimes numbers help. If you're an untrained person, you don't work out at all. You need about 5.7-ish, 5.5-ish, something like that. I think 5.7 is like the minimum. Um, Liters, 5.7-ish liters of blood pumped per minute when you're not even doing much, okay? Laying around on the couch eating bonbons, right? <laughs> but if you're a trained individual, they you might need, only need like four and a half liters per minute pumped. Four and a half compared to 5.7, all right? Mind-blowing, right? Just shows how much more efficient your heart is. Then, and this is something I'm going to get very passionate about here, is cardiac output because this is a number that I looked at extensively when I was doing research for pulmonary hypertension in my former career when I was doing research for a biotech company. And it was a basically a cardiopulmonary issue. Your cardiac output increases, friends. It increases. Cardiac output basically is, you know, uh, it's it's how much maximum blood flow you can have per minute in your heart, all right? Now, when you're untrained, you know, it, those folks will see about maybe 20 liters a minute, all right, for cardio cardiac output. Endurance athletes, however, people who are trained individuals will see around 35 liters per minute. So you see they're able to pump out more blood by like 15 liters, if not more, all right? So 20 to 35 liter difference, like that's it's 15 liter difference just right there. Now together, so collectively, this can increase your ability to do more intense training for a longer period of time, period. All right? Again, aerobic training can increase your ability to do more intense. So we're talking zones three to five or more for a longer period of time. Zone two training helps you with your higher zone training. Not to mention that zone two training makes your mitochondria even more efficient. Now, you might know from high school biology or whatever you've taken that the mitochondria are the powerhouse of your cells, right? <laughs> They're in each of your cells. They are, they are, in essence, the powerhouse of the cell, and that is true. But they are so much more, especially to athletes. If your mitochondria aren't functioning properly, then they're not able to utilize your fat stores as fuel. And they're unable to process lactate in your body. Lactate is what gets built up when you exercise. Not lactic acid, lactate. If you're unable to clear your lactate effectively, then, um, and I talked about this in a previous episode, like weeks, months ago. Uh, I'll find it and link it in the show notes. But if you're unable to clear lactate effectively, then there are these hydrogen ions that are present with the lactate and that start, the hydrogen ions basically start to build and produce that feeling of just like utter burning, <laughs> exhaustion, and like overall weakness 
in your legs or body or somewhere, right? I'm just using legs because most of us are cyclists, let's be real, or runners. But that feeling of like utter burning and just exhaustion and like you just can't, you have no watts to give, right? (laughs) It's a feeling that you can't push yourself further. And that's not the feeling that you want all the time when you're training. Am I right? (laughs) Because I I don't enjoy it at all. I don't know anyone who really enjoys that burn. I mean, it feels good, but you know, I want to be able to push through that. Now, however, (laughs) if you do more zone two training over time, then guess what happens? Your body is able to clear the lactate better and even use that lactate as fuel in your mitochondria because then zone two training helps your body make more of of a transport protein basically called MCT1, all right? Um, Again, I don't want your eyes glaze over, but there's this transport protein that allows the body basically to take that lactate that's being produced and kind of funnel it back into the cell. And then your mitochondria can use the lactate as fuel. What? Yeah, this is when your mitochondria are freaking rock stars, all right? Now, your body can also more effectively use fat as fuel as well when you do zone two training over time. This helps you prolong your glycogen stores when training because glycogen gets broken down into glucose during higher intensity and effort training bouts. Okay, so when you're really redlining, guess what? Your body is taking glycogen and breaking it down into glucose to use as fuel because it's quick, it's fast. When you use glucose as fuel, lactate is produced as the byproduct. Oh, there's the catch-22. And this is what happens is a lot of folks don't understand this biology of it, this physiology of it, all right? Not really biology. It's the physiology of how your body uses fuel. So when you use glucose as fuel, lactate is produced as the byproduct. So hopefully you see this cycle here. It's a, it's a vicious cycle, but... It can be your friend. And lactate is not evil. Lactate can be your friend because guess what? You can turn around and use it as fuel. You want your body to be able to use fat as fuel, but also to be able to shuttle the lactate in back into your cells as a fuel source as well. Now, of course, we also have more fat stores than glycogen stores for fuel in our body. So just FYI, believe me, I am a carb aficionado, okay? I love carbs, especially when I'm mountain biking, going for hard efforts, hard hard runs, things like that. Right before I do CrossFit, great, you know. Yeah, I'm doing. I'm taking in some. I'm taking in some some glucose, some glycogen, red, right? I'm taking in some carbs. But we want our body to be effective. We want our mitochondria to be effective at using fat, carbs, and lactate. That's going to be the magic trio there. Full stop. End of discussion. Now. All right, I'm going to get into a little bit of a zone here that I am unfamiliar with. Um, Some research is also showing that mitochondria dysfunction can maybe precede health issues. And we're talking, when I say health health issues, I'm talking about things like heart disease, cancer, dementia, immune system issues, things like that. All right. So it's assumed that mitochondrial health is important for your longevity as a human. Now, I'm going to go ahead and and also admit that I need to dive into that research further, but there's only so much time in my day, friends, (laughs) all right? I have clients I need to then do. I do dedicate a lot of my time every week, you know, a couple hours at a time, a minimum for self-improvement, you know, obviously reading the latest research and things like that, but I have clients, I have things that I'm making, I'm developing, I'm writing, 
I'm not a researcher. I am not being paid to research technically anymore because I'm no longer a researcher, but this is a passion of mine and I do spend time, but this is a wormhole that I just did not want to go down for the sake of this episode. All right. It's definitely been on my radar though. Um, and mitochondrial health, it, it, you know, having efficient mitochondria, it could be, it's not like it can hurt you. All right. Let's put it that way. So you want your mitochondria to be good. You want, you want to be friends with your mitochondria. All right. Now, but stay with me because I, I am going to slowly do more and more research on that. So we'll talk about that in a future episode. See, something to look forward to. Now, last point here. Zone 2 training can help with your ability to recover and also prevent overtraining. Right? This is a huge thing for me and for my clients. And please know that chronic overtraining and overexertion can lead I don't want to say these words, but I do, but it can lead to permanent heart damage. You know, I, I said it, I went ahead and said it. Overtraining can have negative impacts. So please try to avoid it at all costs. Now, I like to always say that your, your heart is a muscle, just like your bicep. I mean, of course it's made from different muscle tissue, but it is a muscle and you can overtrain any muscle in your body. So please be smart about it. This is a big reason why base training and endurance training is so bloody important. You know, I know everyone is like all about hit. Everyone wants to do hit. Gotta do hit. And I mean, I freaking do CrossFit and I mountain bike. So of course I do hit naturally just because of the sake of those sports. And don't get me wrong. I am not against hit, which is that high intensity interval training that I mentioned earlier. But if you train too hard and too often, without the adequate rest and recovery, then you do risk overtraining, you know, and once you reach that, that state of overtraining, it is extremely difficult and time consuming and frustrating to recover from it. All right. So you do not want to reach the state of overtraining because it will feel like you are digging yourself out of a hole. Okay. Plus, not to mention when you are overtraining you're more susceptible to illness, disease, and, and just an increased risk of injury, you know, fractures, tears, ligament issues, things like that. None of these are a good place to be in, in the middle of a pandemic. Okay. You know, uh, whether you think the pandemic's over or not, doesn't matter, but you know, there's a lot of illnesses going around, so you don't want to pick up anything. All right. You want your, you want your body to be ready to take on any illness. Okay. So those are, that's the litany of how zone two corresponds to your overall performance, not even as an athlete, but as a freaking human, because I want you to be healthy. I want you to be able to ward off illnesses and things like that. Okay. All right. So now you're probably wondering how much zone two should you include in your training? Now, I personally always suggest a minimum, (laughs) minimum of one training session per week at zone two. Now, this is usually about an hour for most folks. And again, this is a bare bones minimum. You know, if you're time crunched, great, 45 minutes. But like, seriously, make it at least 45 minutes. I know it sucks to do something slow and low. But if it, I mean, if I didn't convince you with my last, you know, section talking about the benefits, I don't, I don't know what, I really don't know what else to tell you. I really don't. Now, some recommendations for aerobic endurance athletes are to spend at least, you know, 75 to even 90% of your overall training in the week in the heart rate zones 
below lactate threshold, which again are in zone two, maybe the lower part of zone three, but let's just focus on zone two for the sake of argument. And again, because that's, you know, still in your aerobic heart rate zone. Now remember, well-trained endurance athletes, you know, they may have a higher lactate threshold up to like 80 to 85% of their max heart rate, blah, blah, blah. So like, you know, please know that there could be a difference if you're just a very, very well-trained individual. You have a very low heart rate, resting heart rate, um, you know, and you have a, a good solid max heart rate and your your um, heart rate reserve is over 120 at a minimum. You know, I think mine's like 130 something, 133. I can't remember what number I came up with earlier, but please know and be smart about it. Okay. But for many people, I'm going to go ahead and say that around 70 to 75% of your max heart rate is an ample limit for the upper end of your zone two. All right. So remember zone two is 60 to 70%, 60 to 70% of your max heart rate. Maybe bumping it up to about 75% could cover some, some of your bases. All right. Now, if you're more of an anaerobic athlete, say you do track racing, all right, you're a cyclist that does track or you're a sprinter in your sport and you don't necessarily do any cardiovascular training much in terms of volume per week. So it's a really low volume training. So say you, you do strength training and then you spend less than four hours a week and your sport is more anaerobic. So you are a sprinter. Then, you know, we're talking like short course, like we're talking short course stuff, short track, you're, you run a hundred, you know, maybe 200, uh, maybe 400, like, you know, you're in the short and sprinty. All right. Then you should aim for a bit less training in zone two. So while I'm saying like, Hey, you know, I really recommend that you get, you know, a good percentage, about 75 to 90% of your training in zone two, if you're an anaerobic athlete, then you need to do less. So maybe right around 60% of your training, cardiovascular training should be at aerobic levels and then 20% in intervals or anaerobic training. Okay. So if you, however, talk to elite coaches and even elite level athletes, not people who think that they're elite, but truly elite level athletes at the Olympic level, and you ask them how much time they spend training in zone two, many times they're going to say at least 75 to 80% of their, of their training, their cardio training is in zone two, which is very mind blowing. Okay. And, you know, I've even had this conversation with some clients recently where they look at like some of the FTP plans, for example, in Zwift or trainer road or whatever. And they're like, man, you know, the FTP training plan has me like at really low levels. Like we're talking greens and blues and they're wondering what the hell it is. Cause they're like, dude, no, I need to do intervals, 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 intervals. No, you don't have to interval yourself literally to death. You can just do one, maybe two intense intervals per week, but one training, preferably no less than 45 minutes preferably closer to 90 minutes at zone two would be fantastic. And then you can have, you know, a soul mile ride or whatever. Okay. Of course, this is not perfect because, you know, please know that if you're mountain biking, great. Guess what? Most of your mountain biking rides are going to be hit, considered hit or interval training just because of the nature of the trails, you know, unless you're on a flat course or things like that. So 
This is not perfect science, but I'm hoping that this helps you see how much zone two training you need or that you should include for all of those benefits that I just listed. Because remember, zone two training is what's going to make you more efficient and better at zones three through five. It sucks and you're going to feel like you're not doing much, but guess what? Throw on a movie, enjoy a movie, and just enjoy your time on the bike, you know, and, and you're going to be blown away with how much it can improve everything else. Not to mention your ability to just do longer duration events. Okay. Period. Full stop. Like there's no, there's nothing around that. Intervals. Yes, they are a very effective tool for training, but zone two can help you be a longer living human being with a healthier heart and less stress on your body and less possibility of overtraining. So, you know, keep in mind, again, elite athletes and elite level coaches, they push for 75 to 90% of their training in heart rate zone two, maybe low three, maybe. And that is mind blowing to many people who, who hear this because they just can't believe that elite athletes spend that much training, that much time of their training in zone two or in an easy, easy pace. And it's true though. It's true. Um, all right. So friends, when you think that zone two is just too freaking boring or not worth it, remind yourself that it is a highly recoverable, can leave you feeling refreshed and it sets the foundation for your anaerobic performance at zones three to five or more, all right? That should be enough motivation to do it, right? So you have to train slow to be fast. And believe me, I wish this was not the case because I love going hard. I love pushing my limits. But at, the, at this time, there's simply an abundance of scientific literature that does, does nothing but support this concept. Oh, man. I, I, we got through it friends. Like we got through it 40 minutes. I think this might be my longest podcast on a solo topic, but it's because it's so important. And I want you all to have these healthy hearts that are going to be performing for years and years and years to come. And it's going to help you with those base miles and endurance and just make you feel better. Make you live longer, be with your kids. If you have kids or just to be longer, live longer to enjoy this world and whatever it is. And I want you to enjoy this stuff and please know you don't have to go hard in order to, you don't have to train hard in order to go hard. All right. Get in some easy days too. If this episode resonated, please share it on social media, tag me, and I would be seriously, endlessly grateful for you. I'm already grateful for you. I'm grateful for you joining me today and I hope you have an amazing, beautiful day. If you are looking for a coach, check that link in the show notes to apply to work with me. I will get your ass doing more zone two and strength training, get you strong as hell on and off the bike because that, that, that friends, oh man, if you combine strength training with zone two and like an interval or two a week, mm, you're going to be in good health. Let me tell you. All right. I'm leaving. I hope you have a beautiful day and I will see you next week. Next week, we're going to have an interview with the cycle effect. So sat down with a couple of folks from the cycle effect. If you don't know about them, can't wait to deliver this podcast episode to you next week. So stay tuned for that. 